Today's episode of The Leftovers Podcast is brought to you by TrueCar. When you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure that you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. And unfortunately, a lot of the times that's not the case. People configure cars online only later to find out they're not available. But with TrueCar, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by TrueCar, but pricing from an actual dealer. And not just any dealer, but a True Car certified dealer. This is a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Using True Car, you can easily find the car you want. And True Car is going to show you what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. You're going to work directly with a True Car certified dealer contact. And True Car users, they're more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with True Car certified dealers. When you're ready to buy, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states, including the state of Melbourne, Kentucky. The Leftovers, Season 3, Episode 7. The most important man in the world and his identical twin brother. It's still over, but we're just getting started. Digging into your feedback here on the Feedback Show on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler, and I am joined here in podcasting by a man who has unique biometrics suited for podcasting, Antonio Mazzaro. <laughs> I, I hope I don't have to prove this in some way. Yeah, your voice just lands with a thud, Antonio. Oh, my God. That's just evocative in a terrible way. Those are just my hands slapping together. Uh, I'm clapping because I'm so happy uh, that you're here, Josh, that we're here to talk about this episode of The Leftovers. I suppose if there was a way to clap in, in sadness, I'd be clapping in sadness, too. This is one of our last podcast episodes about The Leftovers. You're talking about bittersweet. It's tasting very bitter right now. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to wrap this season up as we go forward in the weeks to come. But we still have some business to attend to. We have a lot of uh, a lot of questions, a lot of feedback, a lot to talk about with regard to Kevin Garvey's special spiritual world. Kevin Harvey, you mean? Oh, sorry. The H is uh, not silent. Yeah, yeah the, the H, H is H, very important. The H is prominent. The H yes. is to be pronounced in all of its glorious detail. President Harvey in this episode. President Harvey. Is it possible that G is just pronounced as an H somehow? Is that yeah. what's going on here? It's a soft G. Yeah. <laughs> Harvey. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so yeah, lots to talk about here with an episode that I really feel like people have been raving about. It's hard not to rave about the leftovers when they go into this world. You know, it's just like it, this is an absurd show to begin with in a lot of ways, and the absurdism is just heightened so much when you're going into the International Assassin Hotel universe, and especially the fact that it gets nuked by the end. I don't know. There's just a lot going on here, and we ended our last podcast wondering, is this a better episode than International Assassin? Is International Assassin still superior? I think we walked away from that assessment saying, you still got to give the edge to the original. I think you still got to give the edge to International Assassin, but have you wavered on that position at all in the days that have followed? No, I think that they're very similar in many respects, obviously, not just the milieu in terms of Kevin's spiritual world or whatever we want to call it, but that Kevin has some journey and he has to accomplish some task that leads to growth, that leads him to be able to come back. And of course, and I live here now, uh, which is not international assassin, that task is small, but an international assassin, as I said on the recap episode on Sunday night, the most meaningful part of that episode ends up being the emotional connection that Kevin is able to make with Patty either with young Patty or then at the bottom of the well with Patty with the Jeopardy story and everything there. 
the fact that they're able to get on the same page and get to that point, it really does feel like a culmination of two seasons of an arc for those two characters. So that has just so much more heft in, in the immediate moment than this episode, which still has a ton of heft, but is much more about Kevin and himself. And I think it's just going to take even more time than we've had for all of that to really sink in. And I do think the fundamental piece of this episode that will that is still to be told is what's now, what's next, what's, what Kevin Sr. says at the end of the episode. And I think that, that this episode really serving as the penultimate episode of the series, that is questionable then at that point. Like, did we accomplish everything we wanted to accomplish? Was it great? Standalone, though, I think it was fantastic. I loved it. I think I still prefer the original one, but only because, really, the original one also introduced this thing to begin with. It was shocking. There was just a shock factor involved. It was like, holy crap, what is this? Right, and it's like the moment where, where the series really goes to a completely different place in that regard. And opening the door like that, saying really anything is possible in, in limited ways, and it's a tightrope walk of whether they're able to execute, was this spiritual, was it not? So I think that because the, the first one is first, it has that extra bit to it as well. Cool. All right, well, let's dig into some feedback. I'm sure we've got a ton to sort through here. Very rich, dense episode. But in many ways, for me, like... I don't know. It feels like a hard episode to discuss as well, so I'm curious to see where the conversation goes. I found it to be an incredibly satisfying episode of TV, but as I also said on Sunday night, like I'm, I almost, I don't know, I, the world has been nuked. This world is gone, and I almost don't care about its relevance to the story anymore. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see where this goes. Uh, where do you want to launch us off from, Antonio? Well, the... The questions really, the big questions, and I think we're, we're the bulk of our time we'll spend about this. And as, you, as you're saying, maybe it doesn't matter because we only have one episode left. But the majority of the questions seem to focus on what about the worlds? Uh, Espen P- Pedersen says, I firmly believe the two worlds, Kevin frequents, are separate dimensions. Two worlds, the world of the leftovers and the mirror world where Kevin was president. I think that the 2% departed by jumping from one world to the other and that somehow Kevin is allowed to pass between worlds. Evie's scenario is the opposite. The the occurrence or lack thereof of a seven-year apocalypse is the opposite. Even Kevin's mention of swapping between Kevin's looking into reflective services supports this mirror world theory. And we're going to get into more questions about this, Josh. But just generally speaking, after this episode, where are we left with in terms of what this world represents? Is it a mirror dimension? Is it a purgatory? Is it a spiritual afterlife? Or is it all in Kevin's head? And we're going to get into some questions about that. Yeah, I think you know, all of those possibilities remain on the table. You know, once again, The Leftovers is not a show that's going to answer things for you. You get to make your own answers. And the art of The Leftovers really does come down to, for me, leaving things purposely vague. Um, and you could certainly make your arguments that there is a definitive reading on certain things um, until we see, uh, you know, Lori Garvey's body or until we see a character talk about the fact that she's definitely dead. I still think that that's subject to your interpretation until we get definitive landing one way or the other and similarly i think in in this world i don't even know what you could do to confirm that this place existed um you know the david burton stuff is a little weird because we've seen matt interact with that character but we haven't seen kevin interact with that character in the real world so how does that make sense like how does that work out unless it's some kind of afterlife um 
But I don't know. I think that you could also read it as being in Kevin's head. And if it's not all in Kevin's head and he just chose to nuke all of these happy afterlife spirits, how are we supposed to look Kevin Garvey in the eyes ever again? So I don't know. I'm I'm maybe a little bit more inclined to think it's in his head at this point, but maybe that'll change over the course of this podcast. And ultimately, I guess my point is that I, I may, you know, be honking this horn throughout the uh, throughout the podcast is I <laughs> you have I, a horn. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's uh, it's on the way. It's not here yet. Uh, it might sound like a dog barking. Uh, no, no, not not trying to trigger you, Antonio. Uh, oh, that's fine. I do. I do think that, you know, I kind of. I kind of don't care. I kind of, I kind of don't like. This is the kind of thing that I, I as a, as a viewer of, uh, just to you know use the L word of Damon Lindelof's other famous show Lost. Like this was the kind of thing that I used to get hung up on a lot during the initial run, and then when that wasn't really satisfying to me in the end, subsequent rewatches were so much more character focused and story focused that that's really what I got a lot of joy out of. You know, that was the, those were the places where I really found the most comfort and really trying to dig into what is this world, what is this thing, what is the monster, stuff like that. That never really pays dividends for me, and I don't imagine that Damon Lindelof is especially interested in providing those answers either. So the question of, like, what is this world versus that world, I think it's really whatever weird thing you want it to be, whatever meaningful thing you want it to be. And unless the finale gives us an official ruling on the field, I think that you're going to be pretty safe with whatever interpretation you want. That is true. And I think that that is, I think that that is the, the real takeaway from the show, as you've underscored. And I think that is where the show roots itself. But I do think it's fascinating on some level that let's say that it is an afterlife world. Uh, it can't be, right? I don't think fundamentally can't be that, that this is all created in Kevin's mind in some respects, if it is an afterlife world. But if it is, yeah, I just think that the things are mutually exclusive on some level. Like, for example, we talked a little bit about this and we had some feedback questions about this. The fact that Kevin does not see Lori, uh, Sarah Mod, uh, Madra, Mod, I'm sorry, this is uh, not spelled right in my notes here. Uh, let's just say Sarah M says, isn't the whole point of Kevin not finding Lori in this place that he's going to, that he doesn't know that she's dead. I mean, with every single person who made it to the hotel or whatever place he went to, he knew about their death, even with Patty's husband, Neil. They lived in a small town. He might have known about him anyway. This episode made me actually rethink that it was just his imagination. That's why I love this episode so much. So if we're talking about that, Josh, and we're talking about characters that Kevin knows to be dead, where do we stand on David Burton? Because as you're pointing out, Kevin didn't necessarily ever interact with David Burton the way Matt did. And does Kevin know that David Burton is dead? Moreover, David Burton was in the first episode and wasn't dead and he was in the second international assassin hotel episode and theoretically wasn't dead so what's going on with the people kevin sees in this world versus not seeing i think at least in regards to david burton i can only tell you what my feeling on that is and what my interpretation of that is and i'm of the mind that the leftovers views david burton as god um not necessarily that he is god but they treat that character like he is god something that cannot truly be fully fathomed and explained by the mortal mind. Uh, I think that he is that voice in the ear. He is that person that gets to go around throwing people off of boats. Uh, He is the person who gets to hand out that card and be like, yeah, 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 I'm God, and here's all the answers, and just be very cynical about stuff. And I think... That there is a there is a a, a a sense of this character as kind of an avatar for not just the unexplained, 
but also like the cruel wrath that can be brought down upon people who get too close and too inquisitive. And I think that you get that through David Burton here in this world. And with, with that reading of David Burton, I don't think that Kevin needs to have met that character in order to see him in this place if the writers are just treating David Burton as their god figure and we are left to wonder how the hell does that work. We will never truly process what that concept really is. So I think that he's kind of an ambassador of that idea. Yeah, that is, that is, I guess, where my thinking is as well. Um, the fact that he's in the first episode and does play a, a, a guide role in Kevin's mind. And he's and not tells dead him, yet, you know, in he's the not real dead world. yet. Right. He, you're right. And he, he has died. He has died in terms of his meta story. So we find out earlier in season two before International Assassin, that there's this guy, David Burton, the guy on the pillars trying to write him a letter. We see it in the background of the TV. Like, we find out that there's this guy in Australia who died and emerged from a cave and, and was alive again. So that's at least out there. That has happened. But he is alive. Matt has not put him in a position where he gets mauled by a lion yet. So at least in that respect, in the, in the timeline that is happening in International Assassin the first time around, that David Burton is alive. He's probably riding the ferry back and forth between Tess Mania and uh, and uh, Melbourne and he's doing all these things and he's throwing people off and smiting people and who knows why but he's very much alive in the context of that he is now dead theoretically uh, there are theories out there Brendan Fitzpatrick has advanced this David Burton having a twin brother and does that mean that his twin is killed by the lion could that be why we have david burton in both realms like the original david burton died he had a twin which by the way would be ridiculous and the twin lived on and then the <laughs> twin was killed and now we're seeing the twin in this universe or hearing the twin uh, david burton does admit to be a fraud fitzy points out so is that possible is it possible that he's in both timelines because he also had a twin josh totally possible it's not off the table um but i mean there's really there's really no I don't think that there's really anything that's going to tip you one way or the other on that. Uh, I mean, it could be that he really did get mauled by, you know, or he really did die in the cave. And through that experience, his subconscious or whatever floats to this realm and gets to hang out there a bit and then can come back. And maybe he has the same profound experience that Kevin has. And if there were a David Burton episode, we would see the curtain pulled back as such that David Burton is putting bags over his head and he's drowning himself and he's constantly coming back to this world. We'll just never know. We'll never know. And we'll never get elaboration on that character. I can't imagine. And with that being the case, I think that he's really left to just be viewed as sort of an anomaly in this world. The one guy that's really important in these storylines that Kevin has not met in person or heard about in, in greater detail. So going to be a mystery. I'm letting that mystery be Antonio. Yeah, and I don't. I, I think where we come down on this is, I think you. Uh, the point of the problem with the feedback show is, I think you killed this all with your first comment, which I think is completely on point. Which is that it's the leftovers. We're never going to know one way or the other. I don't think there's going to be things on both sides of the equation that you can point to. For one, you point to the fact that Lori isn't there, and our commenters have done that and said, "Well, since it's not Lori, uh, then Lori is is dead." But Kevin didn't know, and because Kevin didn't know, Kevin's not special. Because if he were special, she would have showed up anyway, and it would have been a surprise to him. But the fact that she didn't show up means that he's manifesting this. And there are a lot of points of evidence 
in this episode that that he's manifesting these things and we have feedback to that extent we have people suggesting and pointing out uh for example uh, alex coon says was kevin ever special going into this episode i was a little disappointed because i thought the show was heavily suggesting that kevin was special and the hotel was real i'm shocked and thrilled to say this but i feel like there is now more evidence to suggest that the hotel world is all in kevin's head Everyone Kevin talked to refused to give him information that he didn't know already. Furthermore, everything that happened in that world was ultimately about Kevin's psyche. It would be strange to have a regular old purgatory be so centered around one person. So what do you think? Was the hotel world real? Was Kevin special or just really good at holding his breath? Definitely really good at holding his breath. That's part of his unique biometrics. Yes, but then on the other hand, <laughs> Vicky points out, in this world where Kevin is dead, is he dreaming or hallucinating? If one is the other, how would he know what Christopher Sunday looks like? I recall, I don't recall Kevin ever seeing a picture of Christopher Sunday. Good point. And I think, I think that's a good point, right? So I think that you've got, you've got the Alex Coons point, which we can expand upon, because I really want to talk about this to a certain extent. Yeah, sure. We have Kevin essentially... Popping into this world, waking up on a beach, getting beaten down by this dude. The BBA paratroops in, shoots the guy in the head, and the BBA sets apart helping beard beardless Kevin go about his business. And he puts beardless Kevin on with David Burton, and David Burton later gets beardless Kevin in the door and has Meg working on the inside, seemingly in opposition to what bearded Kevin is doing with Patty and with the uh, with whatever forces are involved with what's happening with Patty. So what's going on here, Josh? Let's say that this is about Kevin's psyche, which of course it is. I mean, on some level, it's very unlikely that Kevin goes to this other world and he's immediately able to meet with, manifest and meet with the people whose tasks he has to handle. In other words, when he goes to International Assassin Hotel, he doesn't, he's not able to just make the things he needs to appear appear out of thin air. It doesn't work as neatly as it does this time, where he has to find Grace Playford's kids, and he has to find Evie Murphy, and he has to talk to Christopher Sunday. So all the things he needs to do magically appear in front of him. It just seems unlikely if the entire afterlife is one way that all these things would happen. And yet he's also in a position where it seems like his plan in the background all along has been to blow up this world that he might actually be in opposition to himself so what do we make of the fact that the beardless kevin's mission is to go stop the thing and that's what he's been driven to do by david burton the bba and meg and bearded kevin has patty on his side to blow up the thing why is kevin at war with himself and why these forces on either side i think it's a very interesting thing that's fun to break down um i think that you know one of the surprises of this episode is when you become when when kevin becomes president harvey right like when we when we see him flash into that world that I don't know about you, but for me, my first impression is like, oh, God, Nazi Kevin. Like, this is like the this is like the scary super villain version of Kevin right now. He's, you know, guilty remnant. He is the president and he has a guilty remnant platform. This is terrifying. So I think that the episode is building your expectations up to the point where that's the bad version of Kevin. Uh, and the assassin version of Kevin is the one that's familiar from the International Assassin episode. It's the right. first time we're seeing him beardless in a long time, but that's the familiar version of Kevin in this world. And in this world, you're rooting for assassin Kevin. You're rooting for him to run around and be a badass and get into fight scenes because that's viscerally entertaining. That's really exciting to watch. It's very, very fun and absurd and exhilarating to behold. And I think that that's kind of part of the point is this is not a world that Kevin really ought to be, you know, aspiring towards. This is not a place that Kevin 
ought to be desirous of being able to live in permanently. And yet we've seen, you know, through the bags on the head and everything like that, that this is a place that Kevin has wanted to come back to for a while. He says to Lori before she goes, uh, you know, that was the that was when I felt the most alive. And I think to have that be part and parcel with this assassin figure, you know, this assassin avatar that's like a completely ridiculous interpretation of Kevin, where he really is just enacting out an action movie fantasy, and that's the heightened world that he gets to live in. Of course, that's not the right spot for this guy. And intriguingly... The President Kevin being somebody with the ability to to change the world for better or for ill and operating on a platform that once it's, you know, our Kevin Garvey inhabiting the mind of that guy and reading from the teleprompter, he's saying things that he doesn't believe about how there's no family. This is just the platform that he is part of. And, you know, he says, like, where's your family? Where's your, you know, where's your family to the kids? And I'm like, but you said there was no family. That's clearly not something that Kevin truly believes, but it's something he's representing. And isn't it interesting that he is in that position in this world as a president, as a, as a world leader figure, when we've been talking all year long about isn't it possible that Kevinism could still be a thing? And maybe, just maybe, that is still going to be a thing. And maybe Kevin is going to be in a position to affect change and have an impact on people lives but he just doesn't necessarily believe in the platform such as it exists he burned the book he did not like what he was reading in the book he might not believe in the doctrine that reverend matt cooked up and that kevin senior has been starting to hype up maybe he believes in his own thing in his own ways of healing people so i don't know that doesn't fully answer why the certain people are on certain sides of the battlefield but i think in that regard if the assassin wants to be dead, essentially, right? Like if the assassin version of Kevin essentially wants to live here now and the other Kevin really doesn't, the other Kevin wants to, to help people, wants to return to the notions of family and repairing your family and saving your family and fixing your heart, then I think it does make sense that Patty, who has been saved from all of her stuff, who has been freed from all of her her hangups in life uh, through the original International Assassin Hotel, that she would be the person, the one person that would be encouraging Kevin, hey, nuke this place. Get out of here. Go back to your life. You drowned me. Let me drown you. Uh, so that would be why Patty would be on that side of the aisle. And then the other people who he's encountering here, like through the BBA and Meg, um, certainly with Meg, like she was very self-destructive. And she seemed almost... I don't know if eager is the right word, but, you know, she seemed totally fine with the fact that there was probably going to be a drone strike any minute and things were just going to end. Uh, And I think with the BBA, he was somebody who was self-destructive in his own right, where he, you know, he goes and starts shooting cops in the middle of the street. He's evolved from or devolved from dogs to men in terms of his interests as a hunter. So these are people who I think have their self-destructive tendencies unresolved by the end of the show, by the end of their times being alive. And Patty is somebody whose self-destructive tendencies I think were resolved back in season two. And I think that she's trying to help that version of Kevin out. Long rambling answer to, to your question, but I hope that there's some sense to pick apart in there. No, it's fascinating that he he summons her, right? Because she points that out. She says, you summoned me. I I came because I owed you. You helped me, and I'm here to help you now. And she's winking at him, Patty, and she's uh, saying all these things. And you're right. Our assumption is to read certain forces as, as malevolent, right? So when he's guilty remnant President Kevin, it seems like even though maybe he doesn't agree with the things he's saying, 
he's guilty remnant. So it seems oppositional to assassin Kevin, who we think the, the goal is to be is going to be to prevent this nuclear strike. He's going to go in and save this world. But I think it's fascinating that that gets flipped by the end of the episode, so that it is really not two forces that kill the world versus save the world. It's really about Kevin not dwelling on this aspect of himself not dwelling or living in this world, being able to put that behind and focus on the not spiritual realm, the I live here now realm of the real world. And it is that fantasy world, the idea that he that he's meant for something bigger, whether it's being president or international assassin or whatever, whatever it is. That's what Kevin has to put to bed, ultimately, for Kevin to be able to accept that he screwed up this relationship with Nora, that I, in my rantings on Sunday, feel that should include that he screwed up his relationships with his family to pursue these things, uh, because we have centered Kevin at the end of these dealings in the past on family, that when he he leaves and I, I live here now, he's thinking of his family, not just Nora. And he's thinking of that at the end of season one as well when everyone comes back together and he has to deal with Holy Wayne and he has give me one wish to prove I was real, Holy Wayne says. And we know Kevin has probably been thinking about family at that point. So this has always been his focus, but he's had this just nagging thing where he is he's too hung up on self to focus on that fully. And that seems to be more than anything what this episode was about. That said, there are these little things in there, including the oppositional forces, including the idea that Lori wasn't in there, but Christopher Sunday was. Things like that that don't make sense. We have we have often fallen back on the maxim that Lindelof has suggested in the show, which is that 98% of it will make sense and 2% of it won't. I think 98% of this episode makes sense on even if it's just a psychoanalytical level about a man at war with himself and all these forces and him manifesting them and then there's two percent of it that doesn't make the most sense like how does he get christopher sunday there what is the david burton role why is he playing this role in particular for kevin kevin having never interacted with him and on and on and on so i think that there is that two percent and the thing is i think when we're looking at the show with one episode left i don't know that the two percent as we've said i just don't think it matters on on many levels now there is one angle to this where possibly it could matter in a greater way josh and that would be what do we make of next episode possibly invoking a similar world for Nora? And we have had we had several different uh, comments and feedback uh, questions about this. And it's just generally I don't rather rather than cite one of them in particular. Do you think we're going to see Nora in some sort of similar world next episode? Well, I loved that theory when we were talking about it on the feedback show last week, and then the episode happened and the world got bombed. You know, the world got new. Nuked. Right, and uh, I would I would think that that rules out going back there. No, it well did Kevin blow up his world or did he blow up the world completely? Period. Because as we see in International Assassin, it's not Kevin that has a problem being stuck in this in between world, and it is I think more clearly determined to be purgatory in that episode when we have Neil. Patty's husband talking about everything that happens in that world where people are stuck and they're all dead and they have nowhere to go. And we see ultimately Kevin give salvation almost as a messianic figure to Patty in that episode. He descends into some form of an underworld. He frees the spirit that's trapped there and he ascends back into the above world. And that is a very mythological or spiritual thing that happens, but that is more clearly where the lines are drawn around that world in the first episode. This time around, it doesn't play that way. It plays more like we're talking about, like it's in Kevin's head, 
and Kevin blows up a world that exists for him. And I just so I don't know that we have seen the last of this with Nora. And it comes up. It came up on the feedback show last week, as you're pointing out. We talked about it a little bit on the recap this uh, past week. But the final episode is called The Book of Nora. And if it's called The Book of Nora, is it possible that we're seeing some element of that or that we're going to carry forward some element of this? The prophecy of Rob Sesternino, Josh, could it still be fulfilled? I think it, it could be. You know, I don't want to – I'm very reluctant to rule anything out as we head into the finale. Uh, I just don't expect it. I, I think that – I think we're done with this place. I think that that was the whole – that was the whole message of the episode – the only reason I could see to come back here is if if now, you know, if something happens with Nora and the machine and either it kills her or it doesn't work and something else drastic happens and maybe she is somehow in this world and Kevin needs to go in and, and help her find her way out. But I, I don't know. Like even even that just like feels a little bit that feels a little bit more action movie to me than than what I expect we're going to get. Like this feels like those kinds of fantasies and you're better off dead types of fantasies. I feel like that has been played out to its conclusion here in this past episode. So I'm inclined to think that the Sarah Durst stuff we're going to see is going to take place in quote unquote our world, you know, in the, in the world of the departure. Uh, But who knows, you know, the first second of the, of the episode will tell us that we are wildly, wildly wrong about that. I'm sure. Well, the and we had Emad had sent in that question and said basically maybe that's why Nora is denying Kevin in that world uh, because she's dealing with everything there, uh, and I I don't know ultimately if that is. I still feel like the most likely read on that is you've had Kevin sitting around all these crazy people and Michael and John, when you take Evie out of the equation and Laurie is dead, you've already had John saying like we have to be going through all this for something. And we know Matt has left Kevinism behind, but we also know the book of Kevin survived. We saw it get burned, but then we saw it get hand-delivered to the ranch, right? We saw that happen. So we know that the book of Kevin is at least alive in some form. We saw Michael and John were the ones that were sitting Shiva or whatever you want to call it. They were keeping watch over Kevin's dead body in that church. When he arises and leaves the white cloth behind, they don't wake up, but they're there. The other person involved is Grace Playford, who we know has already gone to insane, literally insane person lengths, in order to pursue what she believes is the thing with Kevinism. And as our friend Geek Furious has pointed out to us that there is something going on with Grace Playford. Geek Furious says, I think she will want answers and perhaps try to make Kevin go back uh, somewhere he can't. In other words, she got an unsatisfying answer from everything that happened with Kevin there. She got a they don't know, and she sort of looked at it, and she was unsure how to process it. And that's all we got out of Grace Playford after Kevin did all of this and went back and forth. Is it possible then, Josh, that these people, Michael and John and and Grace and Kevin Sr. to an extent, are the ones who are going to beat the drum of Kevinism. It just seems more likely to me that the Sarah Durst future is more about processing the growth of Kevinism in that area than it is about anything else. Yeah, totally, totally. I still think that that's very much on the table, and that was that's, that's more where I'm leaning towards. Uh, especially, you got to think that... Uh, that the Murphys are going to have a lot more to work through if Lori is gone, if Lori is truly dead. Uh, oh, she did. You know, so like for for John, that's going to be that's going to be hard, and you can imagine him 
pouring himself into something new like that and like really, really devoting his life to the healing that Kevin provided him and what it can provide for all of you. Uh, so I could see that Grace should be in jail, though, if she's going to stay true to her word. Right. You know, that's when, true. When this is all over, I'm going I'm turning myself in for having murdered a cop. Well, Kevin Sr. will end up in jail, too, either as an accessory after the fact or at the very least uh, for a short time period for what he did with the other cop that showed up looking. Right. So also for we have multi- barrel rolling, you know, Christopher Sunday to death, I think, is also a crime he might go away for. Yeah. How did he escape that, by the way? Like, how did he get away with that? Because he ends up in the ambulance and they just kick him out. Like, yeah, because well, he's so annoying. <laughs> right. Yeah. They don't ever put him in a position where he has to answer for that action. And Christopher Sunday just shows up and is like, ah, your dad again? Like, listen, I told this guy that my song brings the rain, you know, so I don't know. I just think that it's uh, I think that it's possible that even out of prison, those people could be dealing with this and starting this. And it seems less likely now, especially knowing that uh, nothing happened on the seventh year anniversary, at least as yet. Uh, we know that nothing has happened. We I think Nora is slated to perhaps go into the machine or try to go into the machine on that same day. So we'll see. Uh, but uh, we're we're the day after. Right. At when Kevin and, and senior are on the roof, it's the day after. Is that right? Uh, it's the day after or it's later that day. Like it's, you know, approaching evening. I think it's the day after is my interpretation of it. Yeah, we don't know how long Kevin was quote unquote dead at that point. We just know he'd been laid out in that church and Michael and John had been sitting there long enough to fall asleep. And there there were there was no rain going on. The rains had stopped. We don't know if it's the day after. It's probably the day after, though, because senior is basically saying nothing happened. And so it seems like the day has passed and that's nothing happened on their level. That doesn't mean something doesn't happen on Nora's level. And so I do think that it's possible that that we're going to that we're going to deal with some elements of that on her end. In other words, there's going to be some time shifting involved there. If we pick up the Nora story right where it left off, which is her on the hill with Lori and Matt standing there uh, and then Lori going one way and Matt going the other. All of that action is it predates Lori even showing up at the ranch, right? Which happened, and there was a period right. of time there. So they were Nora was a couple of days before the departure when she's approaching the machine there. Now, how that's going to play out? Are there going to be days jumping in that realm? Who knows? But it certainly seems like that is still something that either has already happened in the context of the day after, or will be contemporaneously going on with what's what, what we're seeing there. So there could be still another shoe to drop in that regard. We don't really know, but it does seem more likely. To to me that the the future Nora is off the grid and probably hiding either because she doesn't want something to do with Kevinism or Kevin doesn't want anything to do with Kevinism as well. And she's hiding that from him. Uh, we had a great question from LT about this. LT says, I know that during the last episode of the podcast, there was mention of the possibility of Kevin returning to some manner of domesticity and that he could try to focus more on his children and family. Will this, though, be enough to prove fulfilling for a man who was beginning to believe that he was perhaps a messianic figure? With everything that has happened to Kevin and co. over the course of the second and third seasons, what does happiness look like for these characters? Moreover, as there's only one episode remaining, what's the ideal ending for these characters? And I think getting into this with the, spe- with the specificity, Josh, of Sarah Durst and whether Kevin should be there, could be there, etc., do you think Kevin himself, now that he's nuked the in-between world, is going to be able to say to himself, this is enough, and he's going to be able to settle for that? If Kevinism grows, is he going to want something to do with it, or will that be something he wants nothing to do with? So 
you know, much in the spirit of the fact that we've talked a lot about how maybe this, you know, final season has short shifted a couple of characters. Like you certainly would like to see a lot more Jill Garvey, uh, maybe even some Tommy Garvey. Although, please don't say that. I, yeah, I don't need a lot more. I, ju- <laughs> sure. I just need like more, 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 more. Resolution. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't need to get into a whole thing about it. Just to use it as an example. Also, the Murphys. You know, John and Michael have been side characters this season. They didn't get an episode. A lot of that is function of just the amount of episodes that were allotted for this final season. You know, what, what, what were they able to get? This is the story that they're telling with the amount of screen time that they are able to use. And in that regard, I feel like this episode resolved all of the Kevin issues that need to be resolved, in my opinion. Um, if that guy cannot live happily ever after, or at least live a content life with most of his nonsense really wrapped up, um, if that's a major focus of the finale that like, you know, the circle continues and he kind of like gets back into a spiral, then that's going to be annoying to me. I think that, you know, there's so much more business to attend to. And this episode for everything that it got so right. One of the things I think it got really, really right is how much they wrapped up and summarized what's wrong with Kevin Garvey, that this is a guy who just cannot be present. You know, and this predates the departure, uh, and it has certainly followed him through the departure. And this is a guy who who does not, you know, take he does not take what he has in front of him at face value and just like grab that and hold on to it. You know, this is a guy who's running away, as outlined by his love story that he's written that he reads from at the end of a guy who goes off into the middle of the ocean with so much love in his heart for what he's leaving back home, but too cowardly to to stay. He has to sail out. I think that this episode was the death of that version of Kevin, and that's the death of Kevin's major issues. Nora still has a lot that needs to be resolved, so that's a character that, appropriately enough, the finale being called The Book of Nora, you got to imagine that's going to be a big focus. Um, so I think that anything having to do with Kevin still being broken and not being a guy who can live happily and you know live a content life in this world... I don't know. That's going to feel like spinning the wheels a little bit to me, I think. What, what's your take on that? Well, I, Peter Politano sent us a great comment about this. Peter said this was the most thought-provoking, funny, intense, brilliant hour of TV, and it's not even close. Kevin's journey to the other world was his personal awakening. He couldn't see in the real world the consequences of his actions and avoided his true pain and emotions. He had to destroy the temptation of running away and kill that part of himself in order to truly be alive in the real world. The personal introspection is something truly universal to all of humanity, and the resolution of these internal struggles is the key to happiness. Most people never truly confront their inner demons. By contrast, Lori is Lori is so devastatingly last week saw no way to heal in this world. Kevin was the international assassin, killing others while in the real world slowly killing himself through his own fear-based actions. I think Kevinism will be no factor in his life. His inner peace is in loving those around him. He literally killed that part of him which questions everything from his sanity to his true feelings so i think we will have found peace whether it is with nora or not yeah nora's journey could be almost anything they really sort of feel like separate paths to me nora's anger and lack of empathy is far stronger than kevin's her happiness her happiest ending will probably be less happyish her issues are based on the loss of her children not necessarily the loss of the ability to love freely her resolution will likely therefore not directly involve kevin but perhaps they can at least end in a mutually accepted understanding and I would say a kind of element of this that I is... I love that, by the way. I com- I'm completely on board with all of that. 
I know you are, but let me put this as part of this equation. What if she's pregnant, like we've talked about? How does that change that calculus? Because <sighs> she'd be pregnant with Kevin's child at that point, right? right? Like that would be a Kevin, a miracle baby, probably from Miracle. Uh-huh. Uh, and so, airport baby. Does that? Well, I don't. That doesn't. That does not time out. That <laughs> is not know. an airport baby. That is not a mile high baby. <laughs> that is like a, that's a miracle baby. Because okay. I just don't. I don't see it. But. Um, but yeah, so how does this, how, how does that change their ending? Cause I agree with Peter. I think that's a great observation that Kevin's issues were more about Kevin and his inability to, as Peter put it, uh, so wonderfully love freely. And maybe Nora's issues can be like more simply summed up in that way as well. She does not let herself love freely because she feels like the things that she loves and touches disappear or are cursed. And so maybe that's part of it. Maybe that's why she gives Lily away. Maybe that's why she has issues with Kevin. I should add, we got a ton of feedback and we, we got a lot of people who are not Team Nora in all this who feel like Kevin is, is great and Nora has more of the blame to carry for why the things between them failed. And while I think that there is, and I think we've talked about it a little bit, there's some elements of this with Nora where she has, no, she, it's not like her hands are clean in terms of their negativity and their breakup. She wouldn't even talk to him about this really important thing that was happening in his life that meant so much to him. She mocked him and, and like did not even grant the ability to do that. And that was a barrier that she was putting up because she didn't want to believe in these things, didn't want to approach them or couldn't approach them. But she completely mocked it, and, and that door was closed. Now, is Kevin going to come back to her with the ability to not care about that anymore because he dealt with it himself? But does she then put everything she's got aside? What, how does a baby change his calculus, Josh? Uh, I think that, you know, it forces her to confront a lot of the same issues that she's been confronting her, you know, her entire life, at least as far as we've seen her, at least as far as we've known her. I think that a lot of that would still be in play. And the thing that would bum me out about that a little bit is I think you do get the sense from that flash forward in the first episode of this season that whatever we're going to see in Sarah Durst, like, you know, the circumstances, who knows? Is it an apocalypse? Probably not at this point. You know, what's going on there? What is that world and what brought her there? That's all to be determined, and we're so close to finding out. That's very exciting. Um, but I, I think it's pretty clear, to me anyway, and maybe, like, the following scene will just show her just, like, skipping down the way, but she seems pretty upset, you know? She seems like a lot of that... That fire that has been in her and those self-destructive tendencies and the, you know, the just the misanthropy that has been in Nora Durst that has made her such a compelling character and can make her a really funny character and makes her a heartbreaking character, too. It, it feels like it felt like in that one scene that we got, like all of that had only heightened further. So if there's a child involved in the mix as well for for that, that sucks. Like that's that's really that's potentially very 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 brutal. Um, I'm not all in on the the Nora is pregnant thing. I guess you know it's certainly out there as a theory, and there is the mention of the IUD a couple of times on the show, and certainly having um, children is a central part of the Nora Durst experience, or you know losing the two in the departure, and then the cruel separation of herself from Lily. Uh, all of that has really fueled that character. So to bring another one into the mix would be consistent with the character but i still think that it's entirely possible that she's just lonely 
you know, and like deeply so. And that that's the Nora that is going to live for the next, you know, decade or two uh, before we catch up with Sarah Durst. Uh, and that's that's tough. And I think that it's it's tough either way. Uh, but I think that there is an extra level of tragedy if she does happen to have uh, a child from her relationship with Kevin and still things are not so great. That is the difficult part. And look, we had a lot of questions that that uh, about people people asking ultimately, like, what if uh, what if she goes into the machine, and what if where she is in that? And we talked about this a little bit already, but what if where she is in that realm is actually is actually the the machine world for her? That the the, the her we see at that point, she's aged up in some sort of world where she entered and she was unable to leave. I mean, we're not really, I think, granting this enough credence in some respects. What if Josh? The machine actually works. What if it does send her to the place where people departed? We've talked a little bit about this on on podcasts in the past when the machine has come up or whatever. But Jackie Tomeyer or Jackie Tomeyer puts a, a pretty good bow on this. I've thought since season three started that Kevin will die permanently at some point. But now is him realizing he messed up with Nora enough closure for the series? I will be sad if it is. I feel like a Kevin Nora face to face is needed. Do we need that, Josh? Do we need a Kevin Nora face to face now that we've set up Kevin realizing that he screwed up with Nora and seemingly reemerging from the afterlife with the mission to be a better person? I really would like that. Um, and it doesn't have to be a romantic reconciliation. It doesn't have to be we're together now. It doesn't have to be, you know, we got back together and things are great and all of that. But I think that the two of them meeting again in some capacity, and frankly, that could be through these letters. It could be through like the carrier pigeons. You know, there's ways to do that. That could be, you know, poignant and sweet. I think that the two of them ought to have one moment that kind of, if not absolves, what happened between them at the hotel, then at least smooths things over enough so that that was not the final note that we get with those characters. That's just so hard to stomach that that would be the way that the show leaves things between them. I'm not comfortable making a ton of predictions going into the finale, which is maybe frustrating, uh, but I I do feel confident in saying I think that Kevin and Nora will be face-to-face at some point before this show ends. That seems... Very likely to me as well. That just seems like where we're heading in terms of the natural conclusion to this story. As I said, Kevin and family and all of that have been the ways we have ended the first two seasons. It seems odd that we wouldn't end the third season on a similar note. That tracks with your hopeless romantic Lindelof theory where we've got at least an attempt at some level of that at the final part of this season. It does seem in keeping with the leftovers in general that that's not going to be at uh, at just a, you say, skipping down to the machine. But we're not going to have that tone right throughout the, the finale episode. I will be happy to predict that, that there's going to be dread, that there's going to be concern, that Nora getting into or not. There might be skipping to my Lou here and there as well. Oh, well, that's the thing is that the leftovers, as you've pointed out, uh, and I don't know where the Mylou comes in, but uh, there, there could be a skip to Bailing. Maybe yes. that'll happen. We can go back to the <laughs> stop, beach and get to that, stop, that, that hut. But yeah, no, no we don't want to get lost. Uh, let's just say, ultimately, I do feel like, yeah, there'll be levity. There'll be shocking moments. There'll be moments. It's the leftovers. There'll be moments that make you just uh, are, are just swell up with absolute uh, glee over what we're seeing. But I do think there's going to be a fair amount of dread at what happens as well. And I just think that ultimately that can end on a, a bitter sweet note or a sweet note. But I just don't think we're ending on a fully bitter note. 
I don't know to what extent we're going to get into any heavy mythology in this final episode. What do you think about that? We have, again, and it's just they're, they're all very different. And so I, it, it, the general thrust of all of them is what if Nora, at that we saw Sarah Durst, is in some sort of universe that is either the universe that Kevin has nuked uh, or the universe of the hotel world uh, and that it is somehow related to she goes into the machine and she ends up at that place. If that's the case, it becomes a lot more difficult, I feel like, to pull off the Kevin connection. And I I don't know. Maybe then it, it turns into a... Maybe it turns into some kind of missive or or created thought, a sonnet or whatever you want to call it on the afterlife, on how you connect with people who are gone. And maybe that becomes part of it. The Kevin Nora story becomes part of, look, Nora dies and this thing is unresolved. And we're going to see the flip side of this, which is Nora is somewhere, but it is not going to be anywhere where Kevin can really connect with her. And we're going to get some more bittersweet version of that, as you're pointing out, with the carrier pigeons or otherwise, where Kevin is in his old age sending love messages to Nora, which he doesn't even know where she went, doesn't ultimately know where she is. And we see where she is as some version of what we saw with Kevin, some form of her manifested afterlife. Uh, is that a, is that a level of mythology you feel like the finale could handle? So let's just let's just play it through for a little while. Let's you know take that part out of it, the judgment of whether or not the finale can handle it. And let's just say the finale goes there, right? So right. so what what would have to happen for Sarah Durst to still be like existing in that universe? Did she like get zapped to the wrong place? She's not where she thought that she was supposed to be. Let's say she does go to where the departed went, and they're all in this shared universe. And she finds her kids who are now seven years older and what don't recognize her, don't forgive her for leaving them. Like there's so much terrible stuff that comes from this possibility that it just breaks my heart to even consider. Got destroyed by a, a, a manic American president launching nukes in Australia. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or got <laughs> devoured by a three headed monster that lives in a volcano. Oh, I thought you were going to... Uh, that was a biometric joke. Yeah, no. Uh, no, no, yeah, no, no, That is a one-headed monster. Uh, but yeah, that would ultimately be what could happen, right? That we could see that. And that's difficult, but I, I do think that that's at least possible. I think it's at least possible that the Sarah Durst that we see is not aged up in our current timeline. The thing that I'll point to that's weird, that the weirdest thing to me, well, the two weird things that I'm tracking before the finale regarding the Sarah Durst scene, she does appear to be living off the grid. But I think if you look closely, it's not a post-apocalyptic world. There's lush greenery everywhere. Some people read that as a horrible thing happened, and now we're emerging after the thing, and nature has reclaimed the world. Like the, uh, the 500 years into the future ending of Final Fantasy VII. Yes. Yeah. Or like uh, when like, yeah, or like when Fry is in the first episode of Futurama is like watching New York disappear and grow up and reappear behind him as time passes. So like maybe we're at some point where the world spoiled Futurama for me. The first episode. So maybe that's where the it's called freak. It's freaking <laughs> called Futurama. Like the word future is right in the title. No, so I, def- I definitely more ruined the ending of Final Fantasy VII for anyone who hasn't played that. So yeah, I went past that because I didn't want to. I no, didn't want to cause a problem fun. there. Yeah, it's, but yeah, it's kind of out of context. It's it, the game's still great. I already forgot what you said, so we're fine. Because uh, I wouldn't want to be spoiled. But yeah, what if we're in that position where the the world was blown up or whatever? That that's the thing. But the thing that that hang it up for me are. There are power lines going into the church where the nun is. And so I just don't believe we're post-apocalyptic in this scenario. 
But the two questions I have are, what's up with the doves? Like, why are the doves going to Nora? Why is she then bringing them to the church? What does the church want with the doves? Why do the messages matter, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And then the other question I have that is that is hard to determine, that is of concerning uh, elements, is why does the nun pay for the doves with what appear to be leather straps? Like, what is going on with that barter exchange? Why does Nora bring doves to a nun in exchange for leather straps? Like, why would we need leather straps unless we are in some kind of weird barter-based economy where things have collapsed or fallen apart? That's the part I really don't understand. The Kevin question that the nun asks Nora, that can be read multiple ways. It could be that Kevinism is a thing and Nora's hiding Kevin like we've talked about. It could be that Nora doesn't want to talk about Kevin and doesn't want to be known as Nora Durst for whatever reason. Was the nun wearing something around her neck that was Kevin's head? Is Kevinism a big deal? Is Nora hiding that? We don't know. I just I don't know why Nora is accepting payment in leather straps and why doves are currency, why doves are something that the nun wants, that Nora is getting. That's the part I don't really get. And I think that wherever we go in this world, like that is the, that, that's the part where I think it, it's going to make sense once we end up there. Are those things concerning to you as well, or have you just let the mystery be and decided to wait at this point? I, I hate I, – it's not great podcasting, man. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you don't have to apologize to me. You know, my, my, I, th- I do think – Apologize my, to the listeners. Yeah, I apologize to the listeners. I mean, I, I'm, we're so close to the finale that I, I, I'm kind of just – I'm ready to let it wash over me. I had so many expectations for that loss finale man that i'm really trying to keep everything in check i'm just trying to keep it cool because look if the leftovers season three finale aka series finale lands on both feet this show is a unabashed masterpiece and oh my oh my god do i want that (laughs) i want that so bad i want that very 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 badly i would love nothing more than to without any you know sweat off my brow uh, be able to say that this is like a you know an elite show for me that this is a top five show of all time for me and it is it is trending hard in that direction and I'm just trying not to jinx it just trying not to jinx it and I'm trying to just let the mystery be and I'm trying to take the advice of the show because I think that that is what the show would, would ascribe to us uh, but look we're gonna get the answers to that fairly quickly I have to imagine in this episode like we're going to get a clear sense of what that world is whether it's some sort of parallel earth that Nora has found herself on or some future situation where you know look whether or not there was an apocalypse that occurred on the seventh anniversary of the departure this is a volatile world we're talking about here you know a naked Frenchman just nuked a volcano <laughs> you know it doesn't have to be the seventh anniversary of the departure for things to degrade worse than that uh uh, and especially with how much time would have to pass to catch up with Sarah Durst, you got to say like 20 years or so at least. Um, so, yeah, man, I, I think it's not impossible that just because like the apocalypse was not triggered by the seventh anniversary or whatever, things could still get really bad. You don't have to call it an apocalypse, but things could get really, really bad. And, you know, the dove trade is back. We're back in with the carrier pigeon trade. We're back in with uh, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, quite literally, uh, in this section, those are uh, those aren't dog collars. Our Philly, I know you're out there. Uh, you already asked this. Those aren't dog collars. So, I hope not. Hope not. But maybe. Who knows? You know? Maybe. <laughs> let's let's not get into this. Let's not. Get we into could this. be. I going know I brought to the it up again. Apocalypse. <laughs> I know I brought it up again. I know it's me every damn time. But that's how triggered I get. Yeah, but I'm come so on. I pre-trigger. So if the if the world does go to hell in the universe of the leftovers, if it go if it gets even worse somehow, and somehow there is some sort of like. 
I don't know, dogs are a hot commodity. Like, you're not going to laugh at that a little bit. Like, there's no way for this show to, like, artfully make that work, to, like, really kind of wink and nod in your direction and the direction of everybody else who gets so triggered by the dog apocalypse stuff. There's no fun way to, to tie that into everything. Oh, sure there is. Like, you could have dog jokes in the finale, and I'm fine with that. I don't mind the, the wink and a nod, all of that going on with the dogs. It is... Interesting because you talk about the show itself uh, being a top five show if they stick the landing and all of that. And I do think we still go back to those first four episodes and say they could have been better or that was the, the show worst before of the, series, the show. The worst for sure. The worst of the series. Uh, but what I would say is even in season one throughout, the dogs were a, a much more prevalent thing. And Kevin's dog in particular became a thing in season two that became an avatar thing he wanted his damn dog like he was upset that he couldn't bring his dog into miracle when he goes at the end of i live here now where he ends up where he meets john what he's interested in is his dog like these are the things that's going on john uses that dog as a way to try to bribe him like i'll help you i'll I'll give you your dog if you tell me the truth like the dog was a thing and then it's just gone either from as a metaphor or otherwise from the majority of this season we had dean bringing his dog stuff back to the world at the beginning of the first episode, but he's dispensed with by the middle of the first episode. And dogs themselves haven't been a thing that is as meaningful as they were in the first two seasons. So I'm not saying it wouldn't make sense to have dogs play some role in the finale of The Leftovers because dogs have always played a role in the world of The Leftovers. I just would be frustrated if it became like a major thing and it became part of the story that was much more significant. Yeah, I don't I think, think it would be anything seen... other than like a, a cultural note. You know what I mean? Right, like yeah, a throwaway joke right. or like, yeah, yeah, that that could be part of it. I still don't understand why dog collars would be currency, but whatever. <laughs> uh, but whatever, like we'll have that happen. That, that's fine. I I'm can't wait to find that. out. It's because the... The, the cult of Fraser took over the world and they are uh, enslaving men and putting dog collars around them. Oh dear. Well, that is uh, how very uh, how very how very Jabba of you. Uh, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's like uh, No, I hope that that's not. I hope we don't get too deep into that crazy territory. It, it was very much in keeping with the leftovers to have that play into the finale on some level though. On on either a metaphoric level or just a joke level. Just a, a great leftovers joke involving one one dog uh, knowing that people would be talking about dogs and Lindelofing about dogs. Uh that if you throw a dog reference in there that would work. And I would be fine with that. If we had that that would be okay i kind of wish kevin had seen his like ugly beat up mean looking dog in uh in this world that he was nuking somehow i wish that would have played a role that would have been a fun way to bring this back in but it is funny kevin has left his dog behind who's taking care of the dog does he even still have the that's dog? where Who jill knows? is jill and tommy are, are dog sitting Jill and Tommy are dogs. So you can't have it both ways, Antonio. Either you get Jill Garvey back on the show, but it comes with dogs, or you have to leave it all behind. I don't even need. I, I want to point this out because uh, because Bob, well, Bobby from Jersey said ultimately that he felt Jill got the short shrift and he hoped that we saw Jill in the finale. I don't even care if we see Jill in the finale. All I care about is let's not hang a necklace around Kevin Garvey like he's a great, great family man. And that's all he cares about. If we see no evidence that he cares. Sure, about sure. I, I do think that you need some note. You know, especially if Kevin's like an active character in the show. If he's not and there's, you know, other signs of Kevin that he's like a well-adjusted, balanced guy, I'm willing to forgive the possibility that he's probably like he became like a decent father. But if he's an active character on the show, like if he has a lot of screen time in the finale and there's no acknowledgement of his relationship with Jill and Tommy, 
then yeah, I'm not. I'll I'll strip the immunity necklace from that guy. You know, like I'll take that away. But I I do think that the assertion, you know, you know, give give him a little bit of, of credit. I think I think give him a little bit of slack coming out of this past episode, the one we're talking about now. I think he is he is a guy who leaves that world trending towards family. At least that's my feeling of it. Yeah, I I read it more that he's trending towards Nora and that family can be part of that in terms of in terms of his general awakening that his issues and his fear have prevented him from really living his best life. However, I don't think that that fundamentally leaves his kids out of it. And I think that that's something where you could show him as a family man. Like I just, I'm, I've run a lot of the scenarios. I run the numbers in my head, Josh. Like I'm up for four, eight, fifteen, or, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. Four, eight, fifteen, sixteen, twenty-three, forty-two. Yeah, I've run those numbers in my head over and over. And as I run the scenarios, like if you're talking about a where the only real Kevin involvement in this episode is it's a surprise to the audience where at some point in the future world is revealed that Kevin is hiding out with Nora, then I don't know how you bring... You're not going to age up Jill and Tommy. That would be, I think, a little ridiculous and hard to do. So I don't know how you bring them into the equation unless you show subsequent pictures of the family together and it shows that they reunited and they were good and all of that as Kevin continued to age and hide out with uh, with Nora. I just I don't know how else you, you button that, like if Kevin is hiding out off the grid with Nora. So if that's your scenario, and Kevin's not really in the episode a lot, but that's what we learn is that they are together and that that's part of why she's denying him in that moment, Um, which, you know, it's part of why what was going on with uh, with Peter. And there are the connections with the biblical denial. If if she's the denier, if we've made if we've made Lori Garvey into Judas and Kevin is the messianic figure and Judas did commit suicide and we saw what happened with Lori Garvey. If Nora is someone else, if, if Tommy is doubting Thomas or whatever, if Nora is part of this, if Nora is Peter or if she's someone who denied him on that level, maybe that maybe that doesn't extend. But her denial can be read in multiple ways, not just I don't want to talk about it, but I don't want to talk about it because. And I think that's the, the part where if, if Kevin is there hiding out, it becomes a lot more difficult to have Kevin scenes. But the inverse is also true. If Did you, you don't just have abbreviate Kevin, Kevin Sr. to Kevin scenes? Did I say that? <laughs> Kevin Scenes. No, I didn't. I didn't mean it that way. No, I didn't. Kevin Junes uh, Kevin, and Kevin Scenes. Kevin Junes. Yeah. Kevin Junes would yeah. be there as well, yeah. yeah. No, uh, but if Kevin Junes is, is not there, if the inverse is true, if we have Sarah in this world, there's no Kevin, I don't know how you bring Kevin with his family into the mix. So I'm having a hard time, at least with what I foresee as possibilities for the finale, seeing a, a good way to do this from a note standpoint. I just, I don't know if, if we're going to get a good resolution to this, and I'm just preparing myself to accept that I can accept that Kevin has uh, has become or will become something powerful for Nora, but not have that. I can try to like transitively invoke that that might mean that he's also been that for his kids. But I can also see a world where their mom killed themselves and the last conversation she had was with them. And they're going to really probably not feel great about that. Like they didn't actually lose anyone in the departure that they know of. Uh, Maybe they lost some friends in their city, but not in their immediate family. Yeah, that's always been a thing that like the Garveys, you know, uh, well, they lost. Lori lost a child. Lori did. Lori did. That's why I said that they know of. Right. right? They didn't know about that. It wasn't a major thing for them. But to lose their mom, to have her kill herself in all of that. I just feel like that 
taking a Kevin, not not putting Kevin back into that mix and saying, here I am emerged a more fully developed man ready to confront and handle the aftermath of my wife killing herself and what that will mean for her son, who isn't my biological son, and for her daughter, who is my daughter, what that will mean for them, how I can help them in this world. Like, I just think that that's a Kevin Garvey where I, I feel like I'm not looking at him fully formed at that point. And I, I say that only because of everything that happened in the first two seasons, as I've ranted about. And I don't want to spend too much more time on this. I just want to say, I just it's hard for me to envision how they do this. And of course, that's why I'm sitting here and they sit in the room where they create the show. But it seems difficult for me, for them to create a scene where, where whatever the scenario is in the finale, where Kevin is coming back together with his family. Um, let's do some quick hits, Just Josh. really quickly uh, on that, Antonio, yeah. is I think um, Erica Murphy is a great example to me. Uh, they had Regina King for one episode, and the, you know, not even one episode. They had her for one scene this season because she was so busy with American Crime. Um, and they really insert her in kind of an unusual way. They use Regina King rather than for like a heavy monologue. They use her as somebody to like jump around on a trampoline with Nora Durst. And you don't need anything other than that one scene and watching that character jumping up and down on a trampoline happily with somebody that she used to feud with to know that she's okay. So there are shortcuts. There's there's ways to, to present this kind of information quickly, swiftly, creatively, in, engagingly. Um, and I think also the fact that Lindelof himself has said, like, the character by far and away he wishes he could have uh, fleshed out more was Jill Garvey. He said that in season two. Hasn't been able to do it yet in season three. Probably won't really be able to do it at all in season three. But I have to imagine that he feels the way about Jill Garvey that you do in I would assume even stronger, given that he's one of the creators of the character. I think that we're going to get some resolution with Jill Garvey. I assume it will involve Kevin. If not, we'll break that down when we talk about the finale, I'm sure. Um, but I think that there are, there are a lot of ways. Maybe hard to envision, but it's also hard to envision the Marklin Baker scene, hard to envision the trampoline scene. So there's so many different ways that it could possibly play out. I'm not that nervous about it, but I understand if it's completely unaddressed for you. I understand why that's disappointing for sure. Yeah, and we'll see. I just have to see how that plays out. I, like I said, I won't even be disappointed. I just won't be planting my flag that Kevin Jr. is this guy who now can reemerge and be a good, like a good dad and a good person. I can buy at this point that Kevin, that Jr. has emerged Kevin and Jones. is ready to, yeah, Junes, that Junes, that Junes is ready to, that, that Uncle Junes, <laughs> that Junes bugs, that Uncle Junes is ready to emerge from this and be good for Nora. I can also completely accept that, that the die is cast on that front that it's way too late and that maybe they weren't good for each other like that that's the other part of this right is that when kevin and Nora broke up it made a lot of sense to everybody we had talked before that happened about how these people don't talk they don't deal with their problems they just screw it out like they just bang it out and that's it and move on to the next thing we, we, we've met this is not something this is not uncharted water for this podcast we've talked about this very scenario on this podcast before and so I'm not I personally while like Jackie uh, Tomer said I would like to see a scene with Kevin and Nora where Kevin says like listen we'll do a flip of the hotel scene where we broke up and let's let's deal with those issues I'd like to see that but on the other hand I don't particularly assume or expect 
that once that scene happens that they'll live happily ever after. It could be that these people are just not right for each other and that they never were and that they were always good on some level, but that the some level they were good on was never a level that was sustainable, even if they both are, are repaired and are able to get to a good place with themselves. Josh, what about this? Uh, this is a question, and I apologize. I don't have the citation for it. It was from a couple of weeks ago, but I want to come back to this. What if Nora gets into the machine and because she's been screwed up with technology, it doesn't work? Yeah, well, we've talked about that a lot and I could totally see it. You know, I think that there is a track that's been laid for that in the story in that episode, in episode two, when just technology is failing her. I think that it would be consistent with uh, with things just never breaking Nora's way with the fact that she's been left behind, with the fact that she has, you know, been... I don't know, uh, has has been shut out of this process the whole time. Every time she's trying to drive towards this, it doesn't work out for her. And I think it would really underscore the intense frustration that you're seeing in the Sarah Durst character, potentially. So, yeah, I, yeah. I'm inclined to think that that's probably what's going to happen. I think that Nora has all the drive in the world to hop in the machine and give it a whirl. And the only thing that would stop that from happening all the way would be for whatever reason the machine fails. Is there a power outage because there's a huge storm that's hitting Australia? And oh, that's a good call. You know, like there's plenty of reasons uh, that that. Yeah, because you could read divine providence yep. into that at that point. Like God stopped me from doing this, and then that could be why Nora just goes off the grid. She wants no part of technology at that point because she feels like she is cursed right. and that everything she does will break. So she just goes off the grid, yeah, and she's actually just, hiding yeah, let from me Kevin. Just dig into you know into the to the middle of the. Yeah, country. let me just lean into it. Right. Yeah, I'll just. Dig Again, I'm off the grid, and maybe the messages are Kevin trying to find her or others trying to track her down for great St. Kevin because Kevinism has arisen up, and their leader is trying to find his lost love. Uh, so maybe that's part of it. Maybe it's that she's hiding out not from anyone else, but she's hiding the world from Nora Durst, and she is hiding from Kevin, and Kevin is trying to find her. And what we're going to get is an old Kevin Garvey, like a notebook, a reverse notebook, I guess. The notebook uh, of where, Kevin is what he described it as. Kevin, in yes, our interview yeah, when I right, spoke with Justin right. Thoreau. Yeah, maybe that's what's going to happen. Like, maybe he's going to be old and actually find her at that point, and maybe him finding her at that point, and then they can come together. Like, having lived separate lives apart from each other, but him constantly searching for her, maybe that's going to be part of it as well. So I think that that's, a, that's certainly a fun thing to track. Anything else you want to hit before we wrap up here? Yeah, I do. I would love to do um, uh, some finale predictions with you. I'd love to do, uh, you know, we do on, like, the Walking Dead shows and the Game of Thrones shows, we do a death draft typically before we go into a finale or when we're leaving a premiere let's not do it like that but let's just do like a general finale predictions draft i think would be really fun we each predict three things that will happen in the finale snake draft style and there's no prizes it's a no prize competition but i think it'll just be fun to see like how can we plant our flag with just a couple of episodes to go before the finale and can we hit any predictions out of the park all right, go first. You go first. All right, I will go first, and I will go with, I believe that we will either see or hear about the death of Reverend Matt. I think that Reverend Matt will succumb to his uh, to his cancer, and I think that he will die either on screen or we will get a passing mention of the fact that Matt is no longer with us. I like that. I'm on board with that. That's a good pick. Solid pick. Reliable pick. Not uh, You're not sticking your neck out no, with that No, not really. One. You know, well, that's uh, but... kind of part of the thing, right? But yeah, that's part of the thing. Is for sure. I think that Matt will. Uh, Matt will, will. Matt will go. I think that's a good one. Okay, let me see. Um, 
I predict that Sarah Durst is in our current timeline. Okay. That, in other words, that this is not she's not going into the machine and going to a different place. This is Sarah Durst. Let's say fifteen years in the future. This is not a alternate dimension, alternate universe, hotel world. None of that. This is Sarah Durst in the real world fifteen years later. Okay, great. Not fifteen. Fifteen twenty. Sure, 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 sure. I like it. Yep. I'm into it. Yeah, and then it's snakes, so I have to go again, right? Yeah, yeah, it's snakes, and you have to go again. But I think that that's right. I think that I I feel like we're we're here now. You know, we live here now for the rest of the leftovers. I think that we're in the world that we've inhabited for most of the show. Not impossible that we get some sort of side trip into another realm, much like the season two finale did. Uh, but I think that we're here. I think that that side trip is going to be we're gonna you know we're gonna six feet under our way into the future a little bit. I also predict that we will not get clarity on whether Lori Garvey died or not. Unlike your Matt prediction, I predict that we will just be left with what we're left with about Lori Garvey. Yeah, well, is that satisfying to you? Would you prefer it that way, or would you like them to address that character somehow? I would I would prefer it be addressed the way that it is. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I think it reads as a suicide. I think it plays as a suicide. I think it reads as the darkest moment on The Leftovers. I'm good with that being posted in that way. I'm also good with the character who nobody would have necessarily predicted was the one who was going to die in this season, dying in the way that she did. Uh, we would have put a lot of markers on other characters. I predict that unlike your Reverend Matt, which I think is a an easy, an easy loop to close, I think we will not know what happened with Lori Garvey. I think we'll just read that as a suicide in the moment, and we won't get any real clarity on that because we're going to be so far down the line. I just think that it will be harder for us to get clarity on that. All right, so I have uh, my final two picks back to back. If I say that Nora goes in the machine and it doesn't work, is that too close to your first prediction? No, I think that that's fine because there are other things that could happen. There could she could get out of the machine. She could uh, Matt could run in and stop her and say, "I want to, I want to go." Nara, in the machine. no, and, uh, yeah, they they could prevent her from ultimately fulfilling her destiny for one way, shape, or form. I mean, it seems likely that they're going to give her a shot, but they could call an eleventh hour or audible. Like I just saw the scans. You're pregnant. You can't get in there. Like there could be something to that effect. So no, I mean, I I think that's a more direct call on what will happen. Okay, final prediction, Antonio is a little bit of a multi-part prediction and it is however the leftovers series finale handles jill garvey and dogs antonio mazzara will be happy (laughs) i hope that that's true i think that you're probably right and i think that that's reading like i don't need jill to show up again i don't need any of that i just personally don't feel like we have made Kevin into a magnanimous like a uh, perfect person with uh, that still unaddressed but I don't need Kevin to seem that way I just don't agree with the reads that he is that way and maybe there's a way we can take the edge off of that but I'm not ever going to be fully accepting of that without knowing what presence they have in his family and I don't see how the finale can really meaningfully address that as we talked about so I think I'll be okay with that as far as the dogs go hope you're right I hope just so hope too. you're right <laughs> just hope you're right what if Nora's in the machine and the reason that she doesn't like the reason the machine doesn't work is some dog puts the plug in its mouth and pulls it out or just like pees on the machine or pees on the plug in the edge shorts it down yeah like something to the what if a dog prevents Nora what if you get a double like you could at the same time lose two predictions if a dog stops the machine from working somehow oh man it'll have been worth it it will have been worth it you could lose two predictions right in a row back to back death yeah so you would win the death draft it would be the death of your (laughs) your decent picks Uh, yeah. yeah so all right my final prediction uh my final prediction let's see what would be a good final prediction 
My final prediction will be that no matter how the leftovers handles this series finale, you can record and will potentially record an entire podcast at some point comparing it to the lost. Oh my God. That's your prediction. Yeah, that's my prediction that we're that we're going that this that this finale is going to be so deep with lost subtext, and there there will be like John Cochran so John Cochran like master's thesis law school paper level of dissertation that can be written about the comparison between this two artists finale like works of art that they're this is the thing I make this prediction because we got a lot of feedback about this that is just too spoilery on the lost front I think to read it for the people that haven't seen the show fully but there are already a lot of people talking about the comparison between this finale and the lost finale and how the nuking of the mythological world as Alex Coons pointed out on our recap episode on Sunday night is really metaphorically uh, a, a nuking of, of what lost was dealing with on some level. And it is Lindelof directly reading into that. We got a ton of feedback, really good, deep in-depth feedback about that on this week's episode about how it compares to across the sea about how that, and Alex Coons said, what conscious decisions do you think Lindelof made for this upcoming episode due to the lost finale? Since so much of his identity is centered around his last show's finale, I have to imagine this imagine this is an incredibly stressful time for him. If you were in his shoes, what lessons were learned from the lost finale that could be applied to the leftovers? And I just think, Josh, for a guy, uh, as you are doing wonderfully, who will occasionally podcast about lost still on some topic or some level, I just think this is too ripe of a subject and we haven't really fully done a deep dive like I think we can. And once this finale goes on the board, I just think there's going to be so much more material. I think this is going to make a great episode of Lost Lives here at Post Show Recaps. Or maybe The Leftovers Lives. I think it's there. I think it's going to happen at some point. Yeah, but the problem is... Now I have to like make sure it never happens because I can just like cut one of your predictions out of here. Like now I can just and oh, you're not you're not a competitive person in that respect. I think you let the art speak for itself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to get a perfect three. Like if I get all three of my predictions right, then we're safe because then like the worst that you could do is tie me. Um, then I'd be fine with that. I could I could share the win. So we'll see. We'll see. Bold prediction, Antonio. I don't know. I don't know. Every once in a while, I like talking about lost. But it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen all the time. Uh, it comes and, not, it comes and goes. It, it comes and goes. It does. It ebbs and flows. It yes. Ebbs and flows. Well, the thing is, Josh, uh, the thing is that ultimately, if we do tie, we have to bring Rob Sesternino in and send him to cast the tie-breaking vote. Oh, God. That's how this works. <laughs> that's our tiebreaker. It's often, people have often speculated yeah. what our tiebreaker is on post-show recaps. That is the tiebreaker. Rob Sesternino will have to be brought in to deal with that. Speaking of Rob Sesternino, uh, he's we're going to maybe we're going to hear from we Rob might be hearing from point. Rob. Uh, so we we are heading into our finale territory here. So let's give you a little bit of a sense of what we're going to be doing with our finale coverage. So Antonio and I, of course, are going to have our recap on Sunday night after the finale airs might be a little bit shorter than usual. I may or may not be in a little bit of a time crunch, but we're going to make it happen. So the finale recap will be coming your way after the finale as soon as humanly possible afterwards later in the week. Rob Sesternino, who is uh, the fabulous, fabulous king of post-show recaps, of course, uh, and a huge Leftovers fan, he's going to be stepping in with Antonio to do the feedback show next week. I will be unavailable for that, so Rob will be filling in my shoes. You'll get Rob's takes on the Leftovers. We'll hear from you guys, all of that good stuff. And then, as it stands, we will do one 
final, final, final Leftovers podcast. Antonio and I will reunite, hopefully like Kevin and Nora will hopefully reunite in this finale. Uh, We will reunite for one last conversation about this thing, at least for the time being. We'll take extra feedback, anything else that is left over from the feedback show, leftovers from the feedback show. I'm sure we'll talk about some of our favorite scenes, our favorite memories from the show, our favorite characters, favorite episodes, uh, things that the show maybe didn't do so well. Maybe that's where we'll get in some into some lost comparisons. And if that's the case, we'll really heavily flag that in case you're not a lost person. So we will try not to spoil anything for you. But basically, we've got three more podcasts coming your way. Our standard quick recap of the, of the, of the episode on Sunday night, which will be a little shorter than usual. Our feedback show. And then at some point, Probably not next week. I would guess it's going to be the week afterwards. I think it'll be uh, maybe like two or two or so weeks in the future. I just have a little bit of travel on my end that's going to make things hard. But we're going to do one final Leftovers podcast that'll really encompass all of our feelings on the show. I'm really excited for that. I'm excited for all of it, man. Um, bittersweet. Bittersweet is, has been the buzzword of this podcast for the past few weeks, and that's certainly how I'm feeling as we're rushing to the end of the Leftovers here. <sighs> I don't want to talk about it. We have put one series to bed already, at least. We did Justified, and we spoke through Justified. We had a great finale, I think, with Justified to talk about, and we had a great time talking about that. But we hadn't been podcasting about Justified. Oh, yeah, we're completing a show. Yeah, we've done We're completing a show. We've done the leftovers from start to finish. That's... Uh, it's awesome, but it's sad at the same point. How is any other show ever going to truly measure up in our hearts? I mean, Mr. Robot is really crushing it. We've talked about every episode of Mr. Robot, but there's definitely an attachment to this show that both you and I have, and it's going to be sad to see it go. Yeah, and while we've talked about every episode of Mr. Robot, we didn't do it in the way where we were watching it air live for the first time, recording it, having a long contemporaneous discussion about that show. We did Robot Road, where we rewatched season one and caught up doing the podcast from a perspective. If, by the way, you haven't watched that show, those are up at postshowrecaps.com. We covered Mr. Robot's first season basically from the perspective of people who hadn't seen the show. And then in the last 15 or 20 minutes of every one of those first uh, season episode podcasts, the spoiler section. we did a spoiler section, right, where we talked about the perspective having seen the first season, what we thought about this episode in that context. And then we did season two uh, contemporaneously, each episode as they went along. And so we have done that all along, but that is different. This is a show where we... And Josh, it also is a show where we really first started podcasting together. So there is that aspect of this as well that is really hanging over this. This is a thing that brought us together. It is ending. So we'll have to find where where we go next. We don't know, but we will be back. We won't let the leftovers go. We won't let it go without uh, without wrapping it up in in grand fashion. I wouldn't say throners, but uh, but there might be some uh, there might be some of that kind of discussion about the things that we felt were funniest moments, highlights, standouts, maybe uh, some karaoke, things, <laughs> maybe some karaoke, yeah. things left unsaid, things that things were left un, undealt with, or frustrated things, things that we put a lot of stock in that never materialized, uh, things that. Don't don't just ultimately immediately emerge in the recap to the finale that we're going to record literally immediately after we watch the episode. Okay. So, yeah, that will be a little more difficult for us, uh, but we'll 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 break it down fully. We'll be here. We'll for be you all guys. right. We'll be all right. We're 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 yeah. gonna champ it up, and I think especially with that first recap of the finale, we're gonna be okay because it's not the end for us. But we're we're getting really really damn close, and much like it'll be a bittersweet ending for the show, I hope I think it'll be a bittersweet ending for the podcast as well. But we'll err on the side of sweet. Um, man, may- we'll err on the side of sweet. what are we gonna do when this show is over though? Like what what are we gonna podcast about? We have to wait until October for Mr. Robot? 
I don't know. I don't know. The strain, I, the, 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 the strain is having its final Troy, season. No, like uh, no, 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 no. Why did you say you that? Why are you that? saying that? What no, if we? No, what no. if we go back through every single episode of Lost and do a non-spoiler recap and then a spoiler section for every single episode of Lost? Oh, I just wow, want to know. I just want to throw out that lofty ambition in the universe to inevitably disappoint everybody when it doesn't happen. That's just yeah. That's just how I roll with Lost. I've been known to do that as well, so it's a uh, it's a two way really street in that thing. regard. It's kind of a, yeah. no. I I feel like people think we're probably being coy, but we're not. It's not like we have a great plan here. If anyone has any suggestions or ideas, feel feel free to send them our way and send your finale thoughts and predictions our way as well for our feedback show next week after you've watched the finale or just things in general. If you want to send any general thoughts you might think fit on that final show or things you want us to talk about as we, we do our final, final show, Josh and I together. Josh, what's the best way people can reach A few us? different ways. Postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form, so you can send stuff there. We also have an email address, leftovers at postshowrecaps.com. You can send your thoughts and feelings and emotions and everything through there as well. We're also on Twitter, so if you can uh, you know restrain your, your thoughts and feels to the character count limit on Twitter, Antonio is at AC Mazzaro. I am at Round Howard. Uh, PosterRecaps.com, the comment section. Those are places where we're going to pull your comments from as well. Uh, so tons and tons and tons of different places to, to get your information across. So carrier Pigeon, as Antonio likes to say. Carrier Pigeon is a great way. Smoke signals. I'm accepting smoke signals at the current moment. Uh, that could change. But right now, I'm all in. Songs. So let me know. Songs, yeah. Oh, but yeah, if you want to communicate via song line, by all means, yeah. please do that. We're, we, uh, we're keeping the song line open as well. So lots going on. We are just days away from the book of Nora uh, and then closing the book on the leftovers as well. So exciting times, <sighs> intense times, exciting times. Thank you, everybody, as always, for your wonderful feedback this week, for sticking around with us through all of these podcasts. Just a few more to go. We're going to do it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And again, yeah, echoing what Josh said, thanks to everyone uh, for all your feedback. If we didn't get to it uh, at any point throughout the season, just know that we did read it, uh, especially me. I've read uh, literally everything I know personally, uh, and I'm really thankful for everything everyone has sent in throughout the context and course of this season. It has definitely influenced my general thinking about the show even if it hasn't come up specifically on a feedback episode. So we're very thankful for you guys, uh, your voices in this conversation uh, and everything that was happening with that. Uh, so shout out to everybody involved with that. And I'm very glad uh, when I tweet about the leftovers, Josh, I'm just so thankful that there are so many people who agree or, or think like uh, like-minded thoughts about this show. We're a very small band, but we're very, uh, we're very fervent and we're very, uh, very big fans of this show. So I'm very happy to have shared this with everyone and thankful for everyone's role in that along the way and thankful uh for as for you josh for for rob sesternino for aj mass for alex kidwell for the people that have helped out jumped in mike bloom uh and traded uh thoughts with us uh that are either post-show recaps hosts or people that have been involved in this show throughout so i'm just very thankful for everyone it's been real fun talking about the all right well let's not eulogize this thing just yet we still got some business you know it's a a pre-eulogy you know it's an early eulogy no, because what happens in the finale, the I might not be all those things. <laughs> That's I fair, might not, fair, fair, might, fair. The finale fair, may fair, erase fair. all of this good will. Oh, I'm getting God. it all now. Yeah, I should have put as one of my predictions, I will be happy with the leftovers finale. <laughs> like, I just need to put that out there into the universe. Anyway, we're going to find out very soon if Antonio and I are going to be happy with this episode, and hopefully you guys will be as well. So take care, everybody. Just a couple more days, and we will talk to you all again soon. Bye. Stay leftover. Stay leftover.